Chapter Four of Saint Charles Borromeo: A Sketch of the Reforming Cardinal, by Louise M. Sackpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Four: Death of Count Frederick. On November nineteenth, fifteen sixty-two, Count Frederick Borromeo died suddenly of a malignant fever. Charles was almost broken-hearted, for he and his brother had always been the best of friends and comrades. He, notwithstanding his grief, wrote as follows, in his usual concise manner, to his brother-in-law, Prince Cesare Gonzaga. So great was the virulence of the fever that lately attacked my brother. He was but a few days ill, dying in an incredibly short time. He passed peacefully away at two o'clock this morning. God grant that he is now in possession of the beatific vision. Frederick died childless, so Charles was now the sole remaining heir. Consequently, all the family— even the sovereign pontiff wished him to marry, but the young cardinal deacon had long intended to become a priest, and this calamity made him resolve to delay no longer. He had dallied too long, he had allowed press of business, state affairs, and multifarious duties to come between him and his sublime vocation. His brother's sudden death convinced him of the vanity and instability of earthly grandeur and happiness. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, if he lose his own soul? These words of profound wisdom and of undeniable truth, that changed the gallant knight, Ignatius of Loyola, into an heroic saint, impressed themselves so deeply on the mind and heart of the splendor-loving, haughty secretary of state, that he became an altered man. It was the turning point in his career. Up to the moment of his brother's sudden and painful death, he had, as we have seen, been a proud, ambitious young noble high-minded, it is true, pure-souled, virtuous, and conscientious, but the loftiness of his character, the singleness of his aims, were marred by a too great pride of birth, and a too keen appreciation of worldly honors. All was changed from the moment that he resolutely put his hand to the plough. He never turned or glanced back, but advanced with giant strides in the difficult path of Christian perfection. He wrote as follows to his cousin, Isabel Borromeo Trivulzi, on December 15, 1569. I acknowledge that my brother's death has been of great spiritual profit to me. It has made me realize how great and all-pervading is human misery, and how happy and glorious is life everlasting. With his usual promptitude, he got Cardinal Frederick Cesar to ordain him priest in the church of Santa Maria Maggiore. Even the sovereign pontiff was not in his confidence. It was only when it was an accomplished fact that he told Pius IV, that he had received the sacrament of holy orders. The Pope was rather annoyed. He had hoped that Charles would yield to his wishes and take unto himself a wife. Consequently, he expressed displeasure and disappointment. There would now be no heir to inherit the broad lands and great possessions of the Borromei. On the death of Charles they would pass out of the direct line. Why had he irrevocably bound himself to celibacy? Charles listened to this discourse with humility and deference. But when the Pope had exhausted his complaints, he said with a winning smile, Do not be angry with me, Holy Father, for at last I am wedded to the spouse I have long and ardently desired. The Pope made the best of it. Probably in his heart of hearts he was pleased that his nephew had chosen the better part, though for family reasons he had urged him to adopt a different course. Charles was almost immediately created cardinal priest, and took the title church of Santa Prasede. On September 14, 1563, he wrote the following letter to his sister, Sister Corona. I celebrated my first Mass on the Feast of the Glorious Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary at St. Peter's, on the altar of the Confession, 
under which are buried the holy apostles saints peter and paul it is a blessed and venerable spot and as i celebrated i felt inexpressible joy and consolation god grant that all i do may be for the salvation of my soul and the divine service there is still a little of the old leaven in charles for we note that he puts his own soul's salvation first and the divine service last perhaps it was only a slip of the pen but he was so methodical and exact that he was unlikely to dash off a letter even to his sister in haste we picture him as for the first time he offered up the holy sacrifice young ardent engrossed his whole soul given up to the contemplation of the divine mysteries we feel sure that no distractions blurred his mind that his thoughts were clear and well defined like his features his face as it was in later life is familiar to all of us clean-shaven with a remarkably large aquiline nose straight brows deep-set bright blue eyes short upper lip large mouth and firm chin his is the face of an enthusiast an ascetic worn and wasted the eyes glowing with unquenchable fire with unconquerable resolution but when he celebrated his first holy mass his countenance had the freshness and roundness of youth he wore a short chestnut beard and his eyes could still sparkle with joyous life the confession or shrine of saints peter and paul opens from the centre of the circular passage in the crypt at saint peter's only half the bodies of the saints are preserved there the other portion of saint peter is at the lateran and of saint paul at saint paul of fury de mora yet the spot where saint charles celebrated his first mass is one of the most sacred in the world and is unutterably dear to all catholics for as saint ambrose says where peter is there is a church and where the church is there is no death but life eternal and st john chrysostom writes in his homily on the epistle to the romans from this place peter from this place paul shall be caught up in the resurrection oh consider with trembling that which rome will behold when paul suddenly rises with peter from his sepulchre and is carried up into the air to meet the lord no wonder that in that twice hollowed place the soul of charles borromeo was filled with divine love and holy fervor to some of us the altar on which he offered up his second mass is even more devotional certainly more interesting great and glorious saints the prince of the apostles and the apostle of the gentiles undeniably are reverenced and honored as they must always be above all others yet the altar in the little chapel of the convent of the jesu on which ignatius of loyola constantly celebrated appeals more strongly to us the saintly founder of the society of jesus lived in a time much more nearer to our own than the holy apostles consequently it is much easier for us in this twentieth century to realize his striking and attractive personality our thoughts and hearts are drawn irresistibly towards him and we fancy we know what charles must have felt when only six years after the death of saint ignatius he officiated at the altar hallowed by the sacred memories of the soldier saint of course saint ignatius was not yet canonized but all rome indeed all christendom reverenced and loved him he was called il santo the fame of his wonderful sanctity had spread far and near his sons were already preaching the gospel of christ in distant lands converting the heathen bringing faith and love and hope not only into countries sunk in the darkness of paganism but into the fair lands that had once been catholic but had unfortunately lost the true faith and had become a prey to the ravages of heresy charles who assumed to be the dauntless champion of catholicism the inflexible defender of the rights of holy church chose for his director a holy and learned priest of the society that has more than any other helped to suppress heresy by converting heretics 
and has pledged itself in all things and in all ways to yield implicit obedience to Christ's vicar on earth. This saintly man was John Baptist Rivera, and he was, at this period, procurator-general of the society. He was remarkably clear-sighted, level-headed, endowed in an unusual degree with the gift to read and understand the minds of men. From the first he recognized in the young cardinal the makings of an heroic saint. Gradually he led him upward, onward, helping to curb the intense pride that was the keynote of Charles' character. Believing that God turns all to good for those who love him, the adroit and ardent Jesuit worked on this trait in the character of a penitent, making it become to Charles an aid instead of an obstacle to the sanctification of his soul. Charles retired to the Jesu in order to follow the exercises of St. Ignatius under the guidance of Father Ribera. The effect of these meditations was to make him feel such an ardent and overmastering desire to give himself wholly to God that he wished to leave the world and enter an order of the strict observance. I wish, he said, to live as though there were only God and myself in the world. It was not, however, the divine will that so bright a light should be hidden in a cloistered cell. It was needed to illumine the darkness of the world. And so, his retreat finished, Charles returned to the Vatican, once more taking up the burdens of office and assisting in every way the aged pontiff. End of chapter 4